This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. This is the Mark Madden Unfiltered Podcast from the Bet Rivers Network. As we begin today's episode of Mark Madden Unfiltered, I'd like to offer a prayer. Please, dear God, hurt Joe Burrow, the Cincinnati quarterback. Hurt Joe Burrow and hurt him bad. Real bad. Hurt his knee. Hurt his elbow. Hurt his ankle. Hurt his testicles. Hurt his rectum. Heck, you could nearly kill him as far as I'm concerned. Just hurt Joe Burrow and hurt him bad. Knock Joe Burrow out of Sunday's game and let the Steelers win. Or at least cover. I believe at last look, the Steelers were getting six and a half at the Bet River Sportsbook. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We got the Steelers open on Sunday. 1 p.m. at Cincinnati. Warm up the Escaloser, but don't be surprised if the black and gold wind up being the ones riding it. Dukes is excited. So am I. My name is Mark Madden. I'm joined now by my co-host for Mark Madden Unfiltered, Tom Opperman. Uh, Tom, before we talk about Steelers and Bengals, uh, an announcement made just moments ago, right before we're taping this, by Art Rooney II. The Steelers are once again merging with the Philadelphia Eagles to reform the Steagles, which they did during World War II. All proceeds will go to the relief effort in Ukraine. Uh, no, actually, they retired Franco Harris's number. Freemill Franco's number 32 has been retired. I hope they retire the paterno cutout. He used to carry around with him all the time during the uh, Paterno and Sandusky scandal. Now, I have no problem with retiring Franco's number, Tom, but it makes me wonder two things. One, why him and not Terry Bradshaw? And two, they retired Ernie Stotner a long time ago. Not so long ago, they retired me and Joe Green, number 75. Now Franco's number 32. Where does it stop? I mean, they might run out of numbers. That team has had so many all-time great players. You're going to have to retire, what, 10 players from the 70s Steelers? If you really want to do it right, if you're going to go down this retired number path, they should have just stuck with Stotner and Mean Joe and put a cap on it there. Franco got his number retired before Terry, though, because Terry doesn't worship at the altar of the Steelers. And oh, Franco no, no does doubt. that all the time. Oh, well, as long as they give him convenience store gift cards. <laughs> do you free, think that Free that, meal Franco going to keep coming back. Do you think he gets free meals at the concession stands now at Akershore for life because of the retired number? I heard that the uh, press conference started 15 minutes late today because he was boxing That's up right. leftovers. Yes. So, uh, you know, there's no denying Franco's place in Steeler history. Heck, he was just a, a few yards away from becoming the NFL's all-time leading rusher. 
pressure over Jim Brown. However, temporarily, when his career imploded, he he went to Seattle and Chuck Noll said Franco who. That said, I'm kind of glad Franco Harris never passed Jim Brown because that would have been you know a joke. Oh. I mean, not even in the same class of running back. But he, he is a Steeler legend. You got the immaculate reception. But but again, where do you stop? I mean, Mel Blunt was as good at what he did as Franco. Terry Bradshaw won four Super Bowls as a quarterback. Jack Cam, one of the best two or three outside linebackers of all time. And, and then you move up to, to more current day. Yep. What about Ben Roethlisberger? I mean, where do you stop? What about Troy Polamalu? Exactly. I think Troy's just as good of a candidate as Ben Roethlisberger is in the modern era of Steelers. But maybe, probably just maybe those more two. So. Maybe just those two, though, as far as the current Steelers are concerned. Well, um, and, and Juju. Of course. Number 19. I'm surprised Calvin Austin got away with it for now, but I'm sure they'll snatch that number away from him soon. That's why he, they said you have to either wear a different number or we're putting you on IR, and he refused, <laughs> so now he's on IR. They broke his leg <laughs> to put him on IR because he would not not wear number 19. So, again, I have no problem with it. I, I just do kind of wonder uh, where you stop. Uh, now, we had depth chart roulette and what do you make of that? Uh, just to recap, uh, they had Kenny Pickett third on the depth chart yesterday and uh, Mason Rudolph second. And today, you know, literally 19 and a half hours later, it was reversed. And Pickett's number two and Rudolph's number three. They said it was a clerical error. What did Tomlin call it? A it's like the copy and paste component the wasn't the cut and paste pa- yeah, yeah, exactly. So like someone in the office was just in charge of copying what former depth charts were and pasting it over and just forgot to make that switch, I guess. Well, what, what do you think really happened? I don't think it's anything malicious. I think it actually might have been just some intern that was supposed to copy over yeah, the Yeah, but why the would they wait chart? 19 hours to correct? To correct after the fact? I don't know. Tomlin has been playing this up like he is a well, monster of a symphony. He's, he's, he's a he jerk. loves the attention, He's too. a jerk. I think he did it to F with the media to get like the conversation going one way and then then troll him by switching it today. I think there's a 90% chance of that. I think there's a slight chance he bobbed the public opinion when the Inzer Nation reacted so negatively to pick up being number three. Very slight chance of that. But but I see, here's the thing that cripples me when I talk about Mike Tomlin. I don't believe a single word that comes out of his mouth. I think every single thing he says is horse manure. I think he's an absolute liabetic. I think he'd rather climb a tree and lie than stand on the ground and tell the truth. I don't trust him at all. I don't trust anything he says. So you think that he, there's a slight chance, though, that he put this out as like a trial balloon last night. Didn't like what the results were when Mason was number a, a two. A slight chance. Slight chance. But that's the, the, the odds are greatest that that happened. Well, he, uh, no, the, the odds are greatest that, that he's just effing with the media. Then again, he's also effing with Mason Rudolph. That's the one thing that does point to yeah. it being a, a, a clerical error. Because, boy, they, they might as well defecate Mason Rudolph's helmet and get it over with. But you're right. Like, how would it take that long if it was a clerical right. error for it to just stay online and wait until tomorrow's press conference to fix that? Like, if that happened, I'm sure Tomlin's not scrolling Twitter, but somebody is, and somebody sees that who knows that Kenny's the number two. I mean, that should be taken down almost immediately. Who do you think would be the better choice for number two? I think to start the season for yes, the first game, Mason. I, I think it's always should have been Mason. If it should Mi- be the experienced guy, if you have to bring him in mid-game, right? If Mitch goes down against Cincinnati in the second quarter, I think Mason's more equipped to finish that game than Kenny. But you're right; you've said it on your show a thousand times. Then you can reevaluate, and if Mitch is out long term. 
Go ahead and throw Kenny in to start against New England the next week. I think Although one, that might be a bad idea. I think Bill. one thing that needs stressed is it doesn't matter at all. I mean, the backup quarterback. Well, it, it doesn't against Cincinnati because if the number two has to go into the game, the game's toast all, already. The game might be toast already with the number one in the game. Yeah, I, I think. Did you see? There's a website called The Ringer. Yes, I think is that like Deadspin Junior or something th- like it's that? Some, or? It's one of the blog offshoots of a different yeah, yeah. company. They ranked Mitch Trubisky the worst starting quarterback in the NFL, and I'm sorry, he's not. That's worse, just not true. He's not worse than Geno Smith. He's yeah. not worse than Jacoby Brissett. You know, he might be thirtieth, <laughs> but 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 you know, it's just I I just don't think he's the worst. No, there's no way he's the worst. I'd still put him above Zach Wilson, I think, too, just because he's experienced more than Zach Wilson is. Zach Wilson's got more talent, but you love Zach Wilson. You're going after my favorite quarterback. I know, I can see your face turning red right now. There's there's a rumor he may be ready to play week one. Wow. Which, to me, makes makes it pretty clear that it wasn't a knee injury. It was a venereal disease caught from one of his mother's friends. I hope he's not clear to play week one because I want Joe Flacco to play the Ravens. Because that's just so sweet. When I when I heard Joe Flacco was their backup, I I, I didn't think he was still in neither the league. Did, I just did I. Wait, wait, is that the same Joe Flacco, or is that his kid? The best too was they were pumping headlines once Wilson got hurt. Flacco's understanding of the offense is off the charts right now. He looks good. I would hope so. He's been around a thousand He's years. Ancient. I, I would think he would understand any offense. <laughs> but um, yeah, I would like to see him play a, a, a week. That's that's a good point. Um. I, I think the Steelers are either going to lose to Cincinnati by 20 or win by two. I, I think this game might end up being close because, you know, as we've talked about on my show, Super Bowl hangover, yeah. uh, Joe Burrow getting a late start, and they're breaking in a, a new offensive line. Like Matt Williamson said on this show, Tom, they didn't go out and sign, you know, three pro bowlers for the offensive right. line. They signed better guys, but not, you know, not very, very top guys. And it does take a little while to coalesce on the offensive line. And I think just an offense in general. Like, if you have a high-powered offense, it takes maybe a game or two to really start to get your feet underneath you when a season starts. So I could see Cincinnati maybe sputtering a little bit. I mean, Ohio State in the college football game against Notre Dame, I think that happened to them. They're a high-powered offense. They got off to a slow start. Last year when the Steelers went up to Buffalo, a very high-powered offense that got off to a slow start. I think it just takes a little bit more time for offense to get into you know season mode and get the timing down. So I think that's an advantage the Steelers have going for them because they are built on offense, Cincinnati, no question. If you were the Steelers, would you come up running, come up passing? What would your game plan be? When you're trying to hide perhaps the worst offensive line in the league, you got to run the ball with a lot of beef. Like I'm talking Gentry and Firemuth, uh, 23 personnel. I have always, always loved the Steelers in double tight. And maybe with Deontay apparently doubtful, I mean, Tomlin refused to comment on his availability. Oh, he did? That's so unlike him. Well, but you know, it's funny though. He's so easy to read because he said Highsmith will be ready and wouldn't comment on Dante, which means Dante's at least in some doubt. Which would be a huge blow for the first game of the year. Well, but they have the receiving core that can probably weather a small I injury. disagree. Not you with Calvin so? Austin out, too. I mean, That's a good th- point. Then, then Gunnar Olszewski, like has to produce. Miles Boykin probably has to play. Yeah, or yeah. Steven Sims. And those guys don't stink, but I, I think when you're walking such a fine line as this team is to try to even be 500, I think you need all hands on deck, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Don't you think it's easier for these offensive linemen to just say, hey, go shoot off your the block and knock some guy on his ass. Run block. It's easier to run block than it is the pass block. I used to think that, but I've seen Steeler lines in recent history that 
could pass block and not run, not run block. block as well. I think that's, and I'm 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 hard pressed to say what years those were because it all runs together now. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I I I mean, uh, you know, Matt Williamson said that Chooks is okay and Daniels is okay. Maybe just run right run all the, the time. Run the right side. But I, but I do, and I said this uh, dating back as far as I can remember. I think the Steelers play their best football in double tight. So if they do that with Gentry and Fryermuth, then the absence of Deontay, if indeed that's what happens, it'll hurt, but it won't cripple. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think it'll cripple. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot of design runs for Mitch in this game. Maybe a lot of bootleg stuff that Mitch just takes off and running. I don't think the line's up yet on Bet Rivers. We can talk about this on the Madden Money Bets podcast later this week. But if Mitch is over under for rushing yards is sitting around like 30, 25 ish, I would smack the over on that. I think he could get like 50 yards on the ground. Well, what's what's the line? Six and a half, right? Six and a half right now. Is that going to move, do you think? I think it did move down a bit. I think it was seven at one point. For I the saw Bengals. that the Pitt, uh, Tennessee. Uh, line moved. We'll moved talk down about a bit, that, yeah. yeah. Like the five and a half, right? I was surprised Something that Pitt like that. Was, was a seven-point underdog at home. That's weird. What did you make of that Ohio State-Notre Dame game since you brought it up? I, I hate college football, but I watched like a, maybe like a quarter and a half. Because it's a big game. Yeah, and uh, in a traditional game. Uh, well, two traditional teams right. anyway. I, I was surprised that Ohio State's offense, it didn't sputter, but it wasn't just overwhelming like, like you, you'd think it would be. Well, right. Like I said, I think it takes a little bit of time for offenses to get up to speed. Uh, Jackson Smith and Gimba, I think his name is. It's a hard name to pronounce, but he was one of the best wide receivers in the nation last year. He had like 300 yards in their bowl game, and he got hurt like right off the bat. So yeah. that just spends everything in and a that, bad and direction. And that rattled them. Right, exactly. Like, they have enough weapons where it shouldn't have, but it did rattle them. You could tell. Yeah, they needed to get into halftime to adjust that offense, get 20 minutes with their coaching staff and figure themselves out. Notre Dame has a good defense you said it to me, though, off the air yesterday. They hired a cheerleader as a head coach. Yeah. So the defense decided the They ball. hired the guy that they thought they should hire. Right, instead of the a, right hire. It, right, exactly. And a cheerleader is going to get your defense fired up, especially early in a game, and he was the defensive coordinator. So expect that defense to have a lot of talent and be coached pretty well. But you could see on offense, they were very lacking. You could see Brian Kelly's touch on the offensive side of the ball was missing in that game. They couldn't get anything yeah, He's done. a good coach. He's just a douche. Oh, the biggest douche, and, I think. And it's such a sad commentary on college football that he felt he had to leave Notre Dame to go to LSU to have a better shot at winning a national championship. Uh, partially, I think that's true, and I also think he didn't want to get left in the dust knowing Notre Dame's never going to move into a conference, or at least he didn't think they'd move into a conference. I need to get as close to the super conference as I can get. Now, um... We'll come back to, to football talk and some more Steeler talk later, but what, uh, what's up for five guys today? Five guys? I think you're going to love this five guys. And this is a theme that I picked out because we have a pretty big guest coming on the Mark Madden Show on Friday. Right, Sean Kanan, who plays karate bad boy Mike Barnes. Uh, he was in Karate Kid 3. He cut the best promo of all time, which I'll be playing on my show Friday. And... Uh, he, he also uh, will be in season five of Cobra Kai, right. but we don't know whose side he's on. And I somehow doubt he'll tell us. Well, he's not on the list of five guys, but the theme is good guys in movies, like the protagonist to the audience, who actually, when you look at them, are pretty bad guys. Right. Like, they're not the best guys. I know where we're headed with one of these. Number one is the king of the hill when it comes to these Daniel LaRusso, Karate Kid. No question, especially in the first movie, because he stole Johnny Lawrence's girlfriend. Exactly. He took away his his buzz karate-wise. He embarrassed him at the dance. 
Even though, I mean, Johnny wanted to, in the, in the gang, wanted to kick his ass in their skeleton costumes. Well, I mean, he was kind of poking the bear at that point. That's right. Yeah, that's right. He was getting what he deserved. Well put. And, you know, the old man comes in out of nowhere, and he roughs, you know, I mean, what's an old guy, this janitor, <laughs> doing roughing up high school kids? Am I right? He should be in jail. The movie should have ended with them picking, or the police picking up Mr. Miyagi there, end of movie. And, 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 and Johnny and the gang are just beating the crap out of Daniel. I know, but Danny was a, a total douche, and they set that up in Cobra Kai, too. I'm not as big of a fan as you are, but I watched the first season. They really played into that, where yes. he ruined Johnny Lawrence's Johnny life. Johnny felt, and Johnny in the first season made it very clear that he felt he was wronged by Danny. They That's played, right. they, they bought into what we're talking about here, and it's true. I mean, like Mark Caballi has often said, if you look at the first movie, Johnny Lawrence is the real karate kid. Number two, Lewis from Revenge of the Nerds. I... I, I got to be honest, I, I never thought of that. <laughs> Number three, Danny Ocean, Ocean's Eleven. Really the whole crew in the Ocean's movies. I mean, they just robbed that guy blind all for just stealing his woman. Like, he did nothing. Terry Benedict did nothing wrong but just be a very successful casino operator that Danny Ocean didn't like. So that he decided said, to perform mass robbery against him. Did you ever, did you see the original with Sinatra? No, with but I, it's super phoned in, right? It's still pretty good because it's who it is. The star power in Yeah. It. Yeah, I mean, they did like single takes on the Sinatra one. That's good enough. We got to go drink. Because <laughs> they just wanted a trip to Vegas, right? They, they wanted to go to the... Well, no, they, they were playing the room at, I want to say, the Sands at night. They would shoot the movie during the day, do a <laughs> nightclub act at night. So, um... But they, do you like the new ones better than the original ones? Oh, I mean, you, you would have to. Yeah, they're just much better movies. I mean, I mean, the Sinatra movie was like kind of a novelty. Right. But it was, uh... It was, um... It was campy enough where I liked it. And plus, Sammy Davis Jr., who's cooler than him. Right. Don't get me wrong. I root for Danny Ocean in Ocean's Eleven in the movie the entire time. And I think that's the theme of this whole list is you end up rooting for most of these guys. But like when you really dissect it, he performed a massive heist on somebody that did nothing wrong except for his ex-wife ended up with him after he went to jail. I can't argue. I can't argue. Number four, Ferris Bueller, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Skipping school, not that big of a deal. Even pretending that your girlfriend's grandmother died to get her out of school... Little weird, but not that big of a deal. But the thing he did with Cam's car Alan and ruining Ruck, yeah. Cam's life. Is that his name, Alan Rock? Yeah, the Alan Rock. Yeah, he ruined his life. He, he stole his dad's car. I don't even know if he had a license in the movie. He convinced to be him to you. steal his dad's car. And then he ruined it. He wrecked it because he had the bright idea that, oh, we could just put it in reverse on cinder blocks and the odometer will go down. Right. And then the odometer starts Which going Which he knew up. wasn't going to happen. <laughs> right. He was just trying to buy some time for Cam to enjoy yeah, himself. And, and, then, and then he sold it like Cam uh, having his life, like having the car uh, destroyed. Was, was going to allow him to break away and declare independence from his dad. Right, like that was going to happen. He ruined an antique car. It's literally sitting in the forest beneath the house on its head, on, on, on its uh, roof. What was the best scene in Ferris Bueller? <sighs> I don't know. I thought That's it was tough. Jennifer Grey and Charlie Sheen. Oh, the Charlie Sheen cameo at the police yeah, station. Yeah. Drugs. What? <laughs> drugs. What do you mean? Are you in for drugs? No, what are you in for? Drugs. Yeah, that was that was pretty good. I like anything with Mr. Rooney. Ed Rooney was just such a great character in that. That's that's true. He was pretty good. I think that movie's largely overrated, though. Yeah, I enjoy it. As a kid, you gotta love it when you're in high school. It's a perfect coming of age story. But he was a bad guy, Ferris Bueller. A bad. He destroyed Cam's life. Yes, no question. Terrible friend. How do you think Cam's dad reacted when he got home and saw the car destroyed? <sighs> God, he might be in jail because of physical violence imposed on Cam. Maybe he threw him over the the railing where the car went over. Maybe he was sitting on the same bench as Charlie Sheen at the police house. Drugs, drugs. That's right. What are you in for? 
Finally, this is a little callback to an earlier episode of Madden Unfiltered we did, but Rose from Titanic. And it's, I think, our first gal on a Five Guys Oh, no question. Terrible person. No question. Just a terrible person. Poor Billy Zane. First, first, she was she was with Billy Zane for the money. Yes, and at her mother's behest, which makes her mother a pimp. <laughs> okay, then she betrays Billy Zane and like sleeps with Leonardo DiCaprio at the first opportunity in a car in storage. For heaven's sakes, I mean, I mean, before they barely know each other, she's he's drawing her naked boobies. Yeah, he convinces her that he's some great artist and let me sketch you. He's just like a street urchin, right? Like he cons his he way onto the boat. He just wants to get the blouse off. He cons his way onto Once the boat. Once you got the blouse off and you're drawing the boobies, it's a very short <laughs> leap to sex in that car. It's a layup at that point. No question. She's a terrible person. And then, if you wanted to even fast forward to like we said, I believe, on the last episode, she could have made room for Leo on the boat or on the uh, the board on the that was door, floating that's in the right. ocean. The floating, wasn't the floating door? Floating door. She could have saved his life too or at least prolonged his life. Could have tried. Instead, he just froze to death. She wakes up, he's frozen, stuck to the side, and she just kicks him off she's into the like, ocean. She's like, you're the love of my life, but I'm going to let you freeze to death while I watch. And she uses her foot and like kicks his forehead into the yeah. deep Yeah, and then depths. she throws the diamond away. Right. She throws the diamond away. She's a terrible person. Yeah. I think behind Daniel LaRusso, she might actually be the number two protagonist that's actually just a terrible person. Oh, I think she might be number one. Daniel LaRusso never kicked a dead body off a board after professing to love him. <laughs> okay, so... Do you well, have that- any six or seven guys? Do you have any honorable mentions you could think of or no? Those are pretty good, I have to say myself. Those are good. I can't... See, there are a lot of wrestling baby faces that I knew in real life that just weren't <laughs> rest, weren't baby faces. Like, if you only knew them, you know what I mean? Right. So, so, but no, that's a good list. That's pretty... Like, once you get past... How would you rank them? I'd rank LaRusso... Uh, well, I think I, Rose, number one. Rose, number one. LaRusso, two. Who would you rank three? It's just such an egregious thing Ferris I accused Bueller, him of. I'd have Ferris to put Lewis Bueller there. Ferris ruined Cam's life. He did, but Lew- I, I mean, I just called Lewis out for rape. I kind of feel like I have to put him higher than fourth or fifth. He's got to be third, at least for me. Danny Ocean's the coolest of them all. Like, he's he's, bo- the he's one bottom. That, he's bottom. Yeah, he's the one that you have the, the easiest time rooting for. Like, yeah, screw Terry Benedict, even though Benedict I gotta did nothing I got to tell you, wrong. the Lewis Skolnick thing has really thrown me for a loop. It's it's shocking when you think about it, and you watch the movie again. They could never make that movie again, by the way. You could never make most movies now. Yeah. Well, uh, getting back to the Steelers, because we're obligated to talk ad nauseum about them. Uh, do any other games excite you for, not, not in terms of gambling, we'll get to that Thursday when we tape, uh, what's it called, Madden's Gambling Fever? <laughs> it's Madden's Money Bets, but you have Gambling Fever. I prefer Gambling you Fever. Prefer gambling but, yeah. fever. But, uh, but do any other games excite you in terms of uh, wanting to watch them? Or I mean, I do like just watching all the games. I'm a big NFL fan. Contrary to what you are, and I'm not the biggest fan of the Steelers like I used to be because I work so closely to the team for the past five years that it's kind of ruined the team for me. But I'm excited about this season more so than I think the past couple of years just because of the newness of it. And I, I haven't seen a new quarterback break in since I was in third grade. So this is incredible <laughs> for me. This is a shocking development. Well, uh, I think it's exciting because there's a lot of, of uh, I don't want to say potential See, there's a fine line between seeing potential improvement areas and question marks. Yes. Uh, I think Trubisky's going to play great, and I think they're going to blame him no matter what happens. Oh, that's just the natural way of and things. And that's going to suck. I th- you know what I think is going to have a frustrating season is Najee. Because the line just won't give him any room. Yeah, and I, I question how much they're going to go double tight. I think it's obvious, and it's what I like, as I've said repeatedly, but I'm not sure how much they're going to do it. It feels like the past few years, there's been a lot of things that are so obvious that you and I can point, sit there and say they need to do that, and they just don't do it. Like, 
play action was the big one with Ben. Like, it's just so obvious they need to do more play action and suck the defense in, and they just refuse to do it, whether it was quarterback or coach or both. So, yeah, it's obvious. They should be in double tight. They should have a lot of beef. Six, seven guys clearing the way for Najee. Maybe they do it for the first couple of snaps, but I guarantee you it doesn't last an entire game. I'm cur- but, but then again, maybe, maybe it'll last longer than you think, Tom, because, you know, it, Ben's not there to whine about that. I mean, Trubisky's going to do what he's told. That's right. You'd assume that he wouldn't bitch and moan about anything. You know, it's funny. I, I was uh, a, a buddy of mine was visiting, uh, who, who used to be a real good hockey player, Mike Palomsky. He played for St. Lawrence University and eventually Williams College with his twin brother Phil. And he was in town visiting, and his dad, um, John Palomsky, played uh, hockey and uh, baseball for Michigan State. He was like a big timer. So his roommate. In college, Mr. Polomsky, who's since passed, was Earl Morrill, the the old timey quarterback for Baltimore and Miami. Okay, won three Super Bowls, won uh, one NFL championship before the Super Bowls. But he was when Miami went undefeated. Bob Greasy got all the credit for that, but but Earl Morrill played most of the games. Like he had to start for the most like, of the season because Greasy was hurt. Yeah, Earl Morrill was nine and zero in regular season. <laughs> He was 2-0 and in the playoffs. The only game Greasy played the entirety of in the playoffs was the Super Bowl. And, like, you realize how different the game is when you look at the stats? Guess what? Bob Greasy, the Miami Dolphins, won the Super Bowl 14-7. to Yeah. He was 8 for 11 for 99 yards. That was the that was his passing Very line. efficient. Yeah, yeah right. But, but to uh, go on your point there, I don't even know who the hell Earl Morrill, was that the name you just said, is. Yes. But I know who Bob Greasy is. That's right. Right? And I'm someone who didn't grow up in that era, so the legend of Greasy lives on more than the guy who actually won the majority of games. When you look back, you realize, even at stats at Vito, you realize how different football was. Case in point. The Dolphins went undefeated, right? Yes. They beat the Steelers in the AFC Championship game. Where was that game played? Was it in Pittsburgh? No. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. makes no sense, though, because, because you think back, the Dolph- back then they didn't give home field advantage. They rotated the, the AFC championship game between okay. divisions. And how exactly they did that with three divisions, I don't <laughs> it's know. Very bizarre. Yeah, but but that's and there was a great play in that game. This is one for the YouTubers. Uh the game breaking play, because the Dolphins only won 21-17. One thing about that team that went 17 and 0, a lot of close games. They scratched their way too. A lot to of it. close games. But they're playing the Steelers. Larry Seipel, those were the days when the punter most usually played another position. Okay, okay Larry Seipel wow. was either a receiver or a tight end. I forget which. So he took the snap, and he took like two steps like to punt, and then he just kept going. But he didn't like sprint out of taking the two steps. He just kept walking faster, 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 then started running. <laughs> so like it looked like he was like walking into a punt. You know what I mean? Like he was. Yeah. And then if you look at the video, Larry Seipel's running downfield. The Steelers had turned to cover the punt. It looked like they were blocking for him. He was out running <laughs> Steelers. He was running right past them, like over their shoulders. Do you think that he just like was going to punt initially, and he noticed this massive hole, or do you think he was just that good at faking the punt? I thought that, as I recall, it was a called play. It was just a really well sold executed fake punt. fake punt, right? Exactly. But then, but football was just it's. I, I kind of laugh when we compare statistics and like quarterbacks, clichedly so from era to era because it's totally different. It's like Joe Namath threw more interceptions than touchdowns because they right. they wanted him to like air it out and go long all the time. But he was a, he was a winner. He won the biggest arguably game in football history. I guarantee it. It's just way different back then. Way different back then. Speaking of things that are way different now, can I get your take on a little baseball topic? If you have to. Do you think Aaron Judge is going to catch Roger Maris? 
He's at 54 right now as we sit here and record this podcast. 61's the number. That's a pace for what? He's definitely on. They got a whole another month of baseball games, like 20 games left to play. 25 games. So I think he's on pace to be around 61-62. You know, historically, guys who challenge those records collapse around now because the records st- then when it's september then the here's the, the thing though there might be it. less pressure on aaron judge because a lot of people think maris is the record but it's not really the record barry right. bonds is the right. record well the al record at least is still maris yeah yeah so um i think he's good enough to do it he's an amazing he's definitely hitter. Good enough to do it and he gets real streaky too like he'll hit like four or five home runs in five straight games but again tom it shows how different that game is because now it's all launch angle i mean you would think that somebody should break that record you would think so. It's you know what's nice though. It's if it is gonna be someone that breaks the record, at least it's a legit ball player. Like someone hitting three hundred. Someone's OPS is over a thousand. Like it's not some guy who's hitting two fifty that's just trying to hit moon balls every time he's up to the. But plate. I'll give you an example though of how different it is. And this didn't apply to Babe Ruth, by the way, who swung for the fences all the time. But back in the day, uh, if if there was like a runner on on third. That was the winning run. Yeah, Roger Maris would choke up on the bat and just try to, you know, get the ball in play and drive the run in. That's what Dave Parker told us on the show. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. He did yeah. say that. It's a guy on second. I'm choking up and getting him home every day of the week. And now it's like th- those guys just swing for the fences I want to all run the home time. Run here, and yeah. that doesn't diminish what they do, but it does provide a context to what they do. It does, and I I hope that. In every sport, there always seems to be adjustments the other way around, but it doesn't seem like baseball's going to do it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, some in football, you go pass heavy. Eventually, a team you'd think would start to go back the other way, play a lot of defense, run the ball a lot, and have success doing it. You'd think in baseball, someone would be like, let's play station to station baseball, small ball, get a lot of runners on base, pitch really well, and kind of, you know, buck the trend of whatever, zig when everybody's zagging. But I don't think it's going to happen because nothing's sexier than hitting home runs. Nothing gets you paid like hitting home runs. One of my favorite occurrences, and I, I don't know the I'm speaking. I hope I get this right. Ty Cobb was was you know still in his his prime or close to it, and he was mad because Babe Ruth was getting all these headlines for hitting home runs. And he said, "Look, that's easy to do. Anybody can do it." And he hit five home runs in two games, and then he just went back to playing his way. It wasn't the legend of, of Ichiro too that he was such a prolific hitter that he could hit a home run if he wanted to, but he just chose to hit be a single hitter. And then there was like in batting practices, he would put on the most unbelievable displays of power. And, and just, I think he had a couple streaky. Uh, episodes where he did hit where home he runs. he hit like 15 home runs in the span of two months or something crazy like that. Yeah, but he never killed anybody or beat up a guy with no hands like Ty Cobb did. That's why Ty Cobb's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, but you know what? Exit velocity. That is Tom Offerman. I'm Mark Madden. Thank you for listening to uh, Mark Madden Unfiltered. Uh, coming up later in the week, it's... Uh, what's it called again? Madden Money Bets. Madden Money Bets, a.k.a. Gambling Fever. Catch new episodes of Mark Madden Unfiltered every week. Available on the Bet Rivers Network, betrivers.com, and wherever you find your podcasts.